This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnank. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President. Jonathan Kraft, Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big. Today, we speak with Pete Vlastelica, the CEO of Activision Esports, on the esports business model and the rise of the industry. And that's coming up shortly. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. And we begin with the NBA fining the Milwaukee Bucks for tampering. Yeah, the important thing here, it's just a $50,000 fine. And by the way, for anybody from the Milwaukee Bucks to say we're going to offer Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, a Supermax contract when he's when he's eligible. Shocker. Yeah, you, you don't say. <laughs> stop the presses. But maybe this is bad timing for the Bucks. This comes just a few days after Adam Silver held his press conference at the Board of Governors meeting, stating that the culture of the league has to change that everybody has to want to play by the rules, that they have to really start to enforce the rules. Uh, and this is step one. This was really just Adam saying, we were serious, and here you go. There are just too many teams out there that are taking liberties with the rules and trying to gain advantages with free agents, let's say, and talking to them when they're not supposed to and doing things they're not supposed to say. So here's step one shows me that the NBA is serious about this. And getting to the point where, by the way, Adam said, we might have to start taking devices and investigations. And again, this is the the GM of the Bucks, John Horst, at a public event said, you know, we will be offering Giannis the max we can next year. Surprising literally nobody. Do you think if this was last year... And John Horst had said that same thing that there would be and fifty thousand dollar fine. Would maybe the NBA an, care yeah, maybe an email, maybe an email. Hey, don't say that. You know, yeah. remember the rule. You're a little early. You can say that at a, within a certain time period of the deal, but you can't say it right now. And this culture change, and I've never asked David Stern this or Adam, but maybe I will next time I'm with them. I thought it was odd that remember years ago the illegal Joe Smith contract with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm. Glenn so Taylor was Glenn, was Glenn Taylor was yeah he was suspended they took draft picks big fine the whole shebang David Stern called it and I'm paraphrasing here something like the widest ranging fraud in league history right and then subsequent to that Glenn Taylor was elected by his fellow owners as the chairman of the board of governors <laughs> this sort of honorary <laughs> position so wait like which is it it seems so incongruous maybe you helped create the culture whereby the biggest cheat in the history of the league is now in an honorary position as the chairman of your board of governors, maybe that should have never happened. Uh, Up next, we need to talk about a court ruling that's offering Monmouth Park hope in its $150 million lawsuit against the NCAA. Yeah, a pretty big major victory for Monmouth Park uh, and the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and it's not just the NCAA. Yeah, not just the NCAA, yeah, it's, that's it's, important. It's, it's yeah. against all the leagues, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, NHL, and Everybody the Everybody who screams sports betting is bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't have it. Who's screaming that? Essentially, yeah, the, you know, if people remember back in 2012, Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, he legalized sports betting and Monmouth Park was set to take bets. And the league sued. They got an injunction, you know, a restraining order. 
Monmouth Park was, was held from doing that. Now Monmouth Park is asking for damages, essentially saying that the argument the leagues made that this was a, a, a huge They were illegally problem. enjoined or, or yeah, stopped from doing they were illegally it. enjoined. The, the leagues claimed that you know this was a threat, a fundamental threat to their leagues. Well, fast forward a couple years, now they're taking equity deals in some of these betting companies. They have data deals. They've moved teams to, to Las Vegas. You know, the, the, the Monmouth Park is now saying, look, the, the argument they made back then to, 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 to shut us down uh, is, is not something that they are adhering well, to. Well, has now. already been deemed illegal, you know, so that, yeah. so this is now legal. So, I mean, obviously the ban was not at the time. And the leagues had to put up a three and a half million dollar bond. bond. Yeah. So some of that money goes back. But what Monmouth has to do now, Barr, is show that had they been operating and taking these bets for that period of time, what sorts of revenue have they missed out on? And finally, let's talk about Dignitas Esports, the company that just raised $30 million and is now forming a parent company called New Meta Entertainment. NME, and you as a 14-year-old purveyor of your son. My go-to. NME, get it? (laughs) In the gaming culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Uh, not just the money, but the high creativity over there at Dignitas. But look at the names involved. Again, Mm -hmm. Evan, this is what we're talking about, the maturation of esports. You've got, of course, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, parent of Sixers, Devils, Fertitta Entertainment, mm-hmm, Susquehanna Private Equity Investments, Delaware North, uh, the Jacobs Family, that's the Boston Bruins. Serious sports and investment folks are finding their way to esports, and Pete Plastelica is going to talk about it later on the show. Who's involved? How big it's getting, and what they seem to be getting out of it. Absolutely, and and the 76ers, Harris Blitzer Entertainment, they were early in this in this wave, right? When they bought Dignitas, man, probably four years ago now. It, they were the, I think they were the first major uh, U.S. based sports team to to buy into competitive video gaming. You know, they just recently bought Clutch Gaming from the Houston Rockets. That's a League of Legends slot. So they they are building a little esports empire there. But as Scott said, uh, they're not alone. You know, the the number of Billionaire traditional sports owners that are finding their way into esports. Uh, there's a number of them. There is going to be more. This is just a sign of more to come. Now let's get to this week's interview with Pete Vlastelica, the CEO of Activision Esports, on the esports business model and the rise of the industry. Pete, thank you so much for coming on Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thanks a lot for having me on. So the, the timing here is is pretty perfect. You guys are heading into the grand finals of the Overwatch League season. What's in store for folks in Philadelphia this weekend? Well, this is our this is our big one. Uh, so you know, this is the culmination of a long season. Uh, most of our events have been played in Los Angeles, uh, but we did uh, have three events in our team's home markets this year. We did one in Dallas, one in Atlanta, one in Los, and one in Los Angeles. But at the end of a long playoffs which was a double elimination style playoff bracket. Uh, the, uh, the Vancouver Titans and the San Francisco Shock emerged as the two teams that are going to be representing the league in, in our grand finals uh, match this uh, weekend, Sunday at the Wells Fargo Center. What's great is that these are the two best teams all season. They're the two teams with the best record. They're in the same division, uh, but they, um, they had the best uh, records uh, all season. Uh, the Shock have... Um, the league MVP, uh, Sinatra, on the team. Um, the, uh, the Titans have the, the league rookie of the year, Hoxville on the team. So lots of great storylines. You know, grand finals is exactly what it sounds like, right? Like we're these are the two best teams in the league trying to win it all. I think a lot of people, they understand esports, competitive video gaming, 
people don't understand what these events look like live in person, at least the big ones. You know, you are in the Wells Fargo Center. I believe it's sold out. Correct me if I'm wrong. Give us a sense. Set it the is. scene for us. What, what does this look like for people who are in the arena on Sunday for the grand final? It, it looks like a, an NBA Game 7. If you're in the arena, you, you, you look around and um, every eye is glued to what's happening on the stage. Um, and, uh, you know, every seat is filled. As you said, we sold out um, this year for the second uh, straight year. This is our second season. Um, last year we, we did uh, our grand final at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Uh, which is a fantastic event. I've been to, you know, I've been in the sports industry my whole career. I've been to a lot of sporting events and a lot of esports events now. And honestly, even as a fan, like I, I can't think of a better fan uh, environment or experience than that that uh, grand finals at Barclays last year. Uh, and that was because of the fans. I mean, the fans are there. You got to you got to understand. Like these, these are players of our game of Overwatch who who play you know a couple hours a day on average um, who. Uh, love this game um, as not just you know recreation or um, even like social life, but as part of their identity. And so the opportunity to come out in a, in a major event like this with and be around thousands of other people who love the game and the, the, the sport and a team as much as they do uh, is something that they look forward to all year. And so when, when they get there, um, they're just ready to party uh, and and watch uh, the event. Give me a little idea about the dollars involved in this event from a sponsorship, from merch, from food and bev. What's the breakdown and what are we looking at? Well, uh, you know, major event for sure. We've managed, I think, in a short time to secure um, a great roster of what we call non-endemic sponsors, right? Sponsors that are um, not kind of native to the esports space or even the gaming space, but who uh, are traditionally investors in traditional in uh, in sports? Because they're non-endemic, do they need more assistance from you? I mean, I imagine it's a different audience, it's a different message, it's it's a different relationship that they're just not well versed in. What sort of things do they need from you? Well, they need the audience, um, <laughs> and you know that that that's what makes. Uh, what makes esports unique, you know, the structure of our league looks a lot like traditional sports, right? Like we have permanent franchise uh, owners. We are city-based. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we share revenue uh, between like every dollar of league revenue gets shared with with the teams. Um, we, um, you know, we look, we've designed a structure really for the first time in esports that looks familiar to uh, an investor in traditional sports. And when I say investor, that could you know that could be an owner, uh, that could be a brand, that could be a media company, it could be a licensee. That was by design, right? Like we, we wanted to create a structure that uh, that somebody um, who has spent you know the last 20 years uh, investing alongside traditional sports could look at and say like, look, I don't totally understand esports. Um, when I look at it, 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 it sort of confuses me. But I know the audience is there. I know they're young. Um, and this is a structure that actually looks familiar and that I can get comfortable investing in. Give us a sense of some of the big names. I mean, the, the Sterlings who own the Mets, the Cronkies who own the LA Rams. Give us a sense of all the, the sports team owners that are involved in Overwatch League. Uh, sure. I mean, you, you mentioned a couple of them. You know, the Crafts own, own our Boston team. We're here in Philly uh, where uh, Comcast Spectacor owns our Philadelphia team. I mean, the, the owners from... The Sacramento Kings, the Miami Heat, Orlando Magic, um, you know the Texas Rangers. Like it, it's actually a, a very long list of 
traditional sports team owners who have, have made this either their their only bet in esports or one of their bets in esports. Again, we think because we've designed a structure that looks familiar and that they, they were able to get comfortable with. Brands too, right? Brands too. And so you asked what these non-endemic brands need from us. You know, if you're a brand that has been investing alongside traditional sports leagues, you love the format, you love, you're convinced that competitive entertainment is the best format of entertainment in the world. You know, it's live, it's unpredictable. You know, there's the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. If, if you're bought into the idea that sports is a great investment as a brand, um, but you're trying to reach a young audience, you know, our average fan is 21, uh, you're trying to reach a global audience, you know, we're the first league in any sport, really, that, that's truly global. Um, there are other global sports, but we're the, we're the first global league where, you know, Shanghai plays, Dallas plays, um, you know, Paris. Um, and we're digital native, you know, we're, we're not kind of constrained by the, the audience of the, the paid television ecosystem, um, we're going direct to consumer, um, uh, or, you know, on, on digital uh, platforms um, as our primary way of reaching fans. Those are all things like you know, young, global, and digital native are all things that I think every other sport is, is trying to become more of. Um, you know, esports is already there. So whether you're an owner or a brand or, uh, you know, a media company trying to age down um, or a licensee, trying to sell, you know, cool merch, you know, esports is a pretty good fit. Pete, let's talk more about the owners in Overwatch League. Earlier, you mentioned the Crafts, who own the, the New England Patriots. Obviously, you know, you have a whole host of traditional sports owners in there. The, the New York Mets, the Vancouver Canucks, you have, you know, Stan Kroenke, the billionaire owner of the LA Rams. What are those owners learning from esports about reaching new audiences and, and a new digital medium? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Going into the first season, I think there was a a, uh, a suspicion that um, because we, we didn't just sell franchises to traditional sports owners. We also um, had some groups um, as part of that first cohort who were endemic esports organizations, right, who some of them had investments from, um, from sports uh, teams, um, but uh, really they were kind of startup or, or relatively young uh, companies designed to just run esports teams. And, you know, I think the, uh, the, the, the fans in general going into season one, I think thought that, that the, you know, the, 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 the Crockies and the, and the Comcasts and the, and the Crafts um, were going to be at a disadvantage um, because they, you know, might not know how to put a team together, um, might not know what motivates, um, you know, fans in this category. It turned out to not be true, though. Um, you know, last year, uh, Philadelphia Fusion were in, were in the grand finals. Um, you know, a team owned by, by Comcast, a massive public company um, that had, you know, not much, if any, uh, esports experience prior. Um, but they knew how to run sports teams, right? They knew the importance of going out and finding a great GM uh, who understood uh, where to find the best players. Um, that's where you start, uh, you know, and, and in any sport, whether it's esports or, or, you know, cricket, I think if you're, if you, if, if you're attracting great players and winning games, you're going to bring fans in. Pete Old Man Barr is going to slow the show down because his youngest 14-year-old son just started high school. 
By the way, Evan and I had a bet whether your first question would include your 14-year-old son. Yeah, they, well, that's, that's, that's my go-to guy, man, in eSports. Yeah. We, we both did. Nobody, nobody could take the no. He told me that in his high school, he just started, that uh, at one, he was, he's playing uh, Rocket League. And I said, look, man, you got to do your homework. He said, Dad, we have a league now where I'm trying to get on the team in high school for Rocket League. And I told him then to drive it like you stole it. So I'm wondering now, it, it, was he gaming his old man, or is this something that's going on in high school? <laughs> I, I, like, if he would have said, I, Dad, I, I need 100 bucks for a sign-up fee, then he's gaming the old man. <laughs> I can't promise you that his high school has the Rocket League team, but I, I think there's a, there's a good chance that if he told you that, uh, and, I, and I don't know your son, but, but it sounds like uh, the high school may have a Rocket League team. And what I would say is, you know, I, like I, I would treat that um, that interest in the same way as I would treat interest in, you know, lacrosse, the lacrosse team or the swim team or, 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 you know, the baseball team. I mean, I, I, I think he's right. Like there, there is a new layer of the gaming uh, world now that is much more serious and competitive than what, you know, what a lot of us remember from when, when we were kids. Um, and, 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 you know, that plays out at the highest level through events like, like you know, the, the one we're, we're hosting this weekend in Philly. But uh, even as you go kind of down that path to pro, um, you see players um, just approaching gaming uh, much more like a, like a, like a traditional sport than, than like a, you know, a mindless hobby. Now, like, Peter, wait, hold you, on, Peter. I want to jump in. Serious, let, me, let me jump in because I have a 10-year-old. And I'm curious, do you think that message is getting through? Because from what I see from my son and his friends, I think it lends lends itself more toward the I'm just sitting here with the Cheetos and playing. I don't know what the aspirations are, whether to reach the highest level. But there is a real thing about the addiction to the video games where kids are just doing it all the time. Yeah, look, I, I, I don't think that's um, – I, I think what you're, what you're pointing out is that not every kid uh, is going to aspire to be the best. And, and I think that's true in any sport. Um, and certainly, it's possible to to to, to play uh, you know games casually, and a lot of people do play our, our games casually. So I'm I'm not suggesting that that we're we're sort of changing the, the the audience's mind wholesale. But I do think by propping up examples of of uh, what it takes to be the best, um, we're we're going to capture. We're gonna we're gonna give those kids who who you know do have the 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 inclination to treat uh to treat their their hobby as more than a hobby um, a, a realistic uh way to aspire to 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 bring it into into some other some other area Pete, you teased this earlier. There's something big happening for Overwatch League next year. Teams that have been based in L.A. since their inception are now going to head out next year and go to their separate cities. You know, that's Shanghai, that's Paris, that's Dallas, that's New York. How do the economics for owners in the leagues change when people aren't sitting across a studio lot from each other now that they're a thousand miles away? Sure. And well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, um, the the vision for this league has always been um, to, to be in home markets. And we spent the first two years playing most of our regular season uh, matches in Los Angeles, and that was really to give the league and the teams time to get ready for uh, the 2020 season when, uh, when when we're going home and away. Part of the reason that the vision from the beginning was to, to be in home markets was that once you're in home markets, uh, there are streams of revenue that get unlocked that are the lifeblood of many traditional sports. So I'm, I'm talking about 
you know, ticket sales and local sponsorship, um, local, um, you know, merchandise sales uh, that uh, have never really been part of, of esports uh, because there have never been local esports teams. Um, but the you know, traditional sports teams depend on these, these streams of revenue. Th- those really haven't been unlocked yet because we're, we're not in home markets yet. Um, so next year, you know, we'll, we'll start to see teams um, selling tickets, selling season tickets, selling VIP packages, uh, bringing sponsors in uh, to activate around the events. Um, and uh, we, we think the revenue story gets a lot better for, for our teams next year. How do you think about sharing that revenue? I mean, the, the NFL, you know, all these other, you know, big established traditional sports leagues share their revenue in ways that, you know, if, if the team in Dallas, the NFL team in Dallas makes a ton more money locally than, you know, the team in Jacksonville, they share that what happens when, if, you know, the Shanghai Dragons in the Overwatch League are suddenly bringing in 10 times locally for all these reasons, ticket sales, local sponsorships, et cetera, 10 times more than, than the Titans are doing up in Vancouver? Yeah, so there's a couple things there. One, the, the league uh, is responsible for driving um, revenue in, in the form of global sponsorship, uh, global media rights, um, you know, global merch sales, um, those kinds of things. So that that's league controlled and league driven revenue that gets spread, uh, that gets split evenly uh, with each of the teams. Um, and so, no team gets a bigger share than the others of the revenue that the league uh, drives. Um, local revenue, however, um, is a different story. So, uh, the, the 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 revenue that a local team uh, is able to generate uh, stays with with the team. Pete, a lot of your games are, are gun-associated. Your thoughts of what's going on in society now, is there any fear at all that uh, there'll be backlash against shooter games, uh, parents not wanting their kids to participate in finding something else to do? Um, you know, look, this is a topic that's been around for a while, I guess, and um, comes up from time to time, uh, unfortunately. Um, I, I think, you know, Overwatch, we're, we're, we're focused on Overwatch now. I mean, Overwatch is a it's a family friendly game. It's it's a rated T for teen game, not a mature game. Um, it is um, it's a kind of first person action game, um, and there are some guns in the game. Uh, but if you spend any time playing the game, or even just sort of looking at the art, uh, it's a very sort of fantasy based game. It's bright, colorful, optimistic. You know, half of the the, the heroes in the game are are, are female, um, you know, there's, there's uh, heroes from all over the world in the game. So diversity, inclusion is, is very much kind of built into the game. We think there's so many positive messages that are baked in, into the game itself, um, uh, combined with the fact that, you know, the, the action in the game is not terribly realistic, um, that, you know, this, this game is, is sort of in a different category when it comes to the conversation about about violence. Pete, one other question that, that we often ask investors, and we had Mark Ein on the show a couple of weeks ago, and, and we asked him as well, you know, investors in traditional sports, one thing they don't really need to worry about, at least in the short term, is the sport going out of favor. In 10 years, people will still be playing basketball. They'll still be playing football. Uh, it's not quite the same kind of comfort, I think, for a lot of esports investments. How do you guys make sure that Overwatch is still being played and popular in, in 10 years? And in the you know disaster case scenario where it's not, what happens to kind of all the infrastructure that you guys have built around Overwatch League? Yeah, you know it's interesting that that question comes up, and I think it's because you know if you look at the gaming industry broadly, 
there are a lot of games that kind of come into fashion um, for, you know, six months or a year or two years or three years and then kind of go away. Um, and, you know, if you look at the companies that make those games, like that's sort of by design. Like they're, they're in the business of, of finding that hit and writing it as long as they can and then moving on to, to hopefully find the next hit. Um, that, that's not the business that, that our company's in. And, and I'm not just saying that. Like you can look at our portfolio and you know, Call of Duty has been around for what, 15 years. World of Warcraft has been around for, you know, I think that long or even longer. Um, you know, Overwatch is, is our youngest new title. Um, but our, our, our plan based on our model and how we, how we operate all of our franchises is to keep it um, uh, relevant as a game for a very, very long time. I also say that the, the, you have to look at the competitive depth of a game anytime you're sort of making a bet on how long it's, it's going to last. And by competitive depth, I mean, like, the more you play it, the more fun it gets. Um, not all games are like that, right? There are a lot of games that you master pretty quickly or you beat the game um, and you're on to the next one. Um, a game like Overwatch or really any game that's successful as an eSport title is a lot more like, you know, basketball or chess or, you know, a game that maybe it's easy to learn, but it's going to take you a long time to master. And as a result of that, there are definitely some people who are the best in the world at the game who the people who aren't the best can look at and go, oh, that guy just did something I could never do. And the bar goes up every year because every year people are investing more time and getting better and better at the game. It turns out it's really hard to make a game like that, by the way. But Overwatch is one of those games. And if you make a game like that, it's not going to go away in a few years. Well, you've given me an education, Pete. Thank you, Pete. Pete Vlastelica, you are the CEO of Activision Blizzard's eSports unit. And uh, I'm excited. Uh, hey, I knew what Rocket League was. I'm proud of myself. You brought Rocket League. <laughs> that doesn't stop you from getting fleeced by your son, but you knew Rocket League. Good for you. Pete, thank you, sir. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Pete. You know what, guys? My 14-year-old son might be on to something. You have a 14-year-old son? Yes, I do. Hi, John. And he is trying out for the eSports team yes. at his high school. When do we find out if he makes it? I will find out in about a couple of months. A couple of months? A couple of months. Because he's got to practice because that's when the tryouts happen. Oh, my God. Again, for me, Evan, it's all about where are we headed on this and for that, I look to the leaders and the investors. And when you tell me Kroenke's there, when you tell me the Aquilini's are there, when you tell me the Mets are there and Harris Blitzer, I, I got to believe that these folks are going to figure it out. And and whether it busts is a, is a really interesting question. And I thought his answer right at the end there about how you keep Overwatch League relevant yeah. uh, is, is that's top of mind for especially for you know a, a game like Overwatch that came out two years ago now, you know, if that turns into the next League of Legends, which is turning 10 this year and is arguably more popular than ever, this is a huge success for them. Right. If that turns into a game that you don't remember because it lasted for three years and people, kids stop playing it, uh, that's bad. But, but his idea that Overwatch League can play a central point in keeping the game relevant because not only just kids playing it, but also 
watching professional teams play it and and, and this whole city-based model. Uh, I think that's really interesting, and, and, and you know, the, the next couple of years will bear that if, out. If but, most but of we'll the kids see. are obsessive like mine and they see somebody do something that they can't do and they want to get to a little higher score, then it bodes well because exactly. my, my kid will just keep striving. And this, you know, this grand finale this weekend, 3 o'clock on Sunday on ABC. So, you know, this is going to reach a wider audience than most esports uh, events do, and we'll see where that shakes out. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. The number of the week. I'm trying to word this so that I don't give too much away. It's the Detroit Lions. Oh, God. Yes, it's the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Let's just discuss it. Because I, I, I saved it for you. 1962. That's the number. Was the last time this happened for yeah, the remember Detroit Lions. Yeah, go ahead. Just, just, let's, go Undefe- ahead. Undefeated through three games. But, but playing a team that's also undefeated. Well... Yeah. Uh, what was well, that? No, uh, okay. It, it, it's the yes. That's the answer to the question. <laughs> this was no mystery to this one at all. No. The Lions are two zero and one. That counts. They are undefeated. Yes, and they're playing the Chiefs three and zero. Yes. So it's the longest. Like this, is the first time since when? What sixty two? Sixty two. This late in the season that a Lions team is playing an undefeated Lions team is playing a team that also has not is lost. Undefeated. So, and I would think most of that's because of the Lions. And they're, play- <laughs> <laughs> they're playing at Ford Field, and the Chiefs are going to visit. It's going to be a good game. All right, I'm done. Promise. <laughs> You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. And you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with Evan, who we got from uh, The Score. We got the CEO of The Score, John Levy, you know, a, 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 a media company that is turning into a sports betting, book. Betting, betting, betting. Yeah. Yeah. Diving in a lot more than you know a lot of the other ones are. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.